Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, welcome to the A-Game Podcast for the second Monday of January. Our guest today is Detective Jim McSorley, a.k.a. Knocko Nolan. So you guys, uh, if you're not familiar with him, he's been around forever. He started out as a guy in New York City. He's now in L.A. He's LAPD. He's been on uh, the featured on one of the most popular uh, true crime documentaries on Netflix uh, about the Cecil Hotel, which was what the American Horror Story season with Lady Gaga when they were in the hotel was based on. So a lot of really crazy stuff that happened in that hotel. And there's a really cool documentary about the disappearance of the Cecil Hotel that you guys can find on Netflix that we talk about. He's been part of the hardcore scene for a long time, part of the jiu-jitsu scene. He trains with uh, Henner and Hiran and Alex Stewart and Billy Gratz and all those guys at Gracie Torrance. He's the co-host of the Armbar podcast, which they've had on Jocko, uh, Jocko Willink and a whole bunch of other people on there. So a big advocate of jujitsu, big advocate of law enforcement, big advocate of music and entertainment and animals and just an all around good guy. He's one of those dudes that just pops up in every circle. Every time I'm looking at somebody else's Instagram or social media profile, he's in their pictures or just at their concerts or kind of rubbing shoulders with her. So he's just one of those salt of the earth guys that just very likable dude, just easygoing, cool guy, just, uh, you know, just the kind of guy that I was like, you know what, there's a bunch of similarities we had. He talks a little bit about this, about there's, there's certain things that you see, it checks a couple of boxes within kind of your circle, and it makes you pay attention to it. That's kind of what happened with this is, uh, you know, I've, I've been aware of Nako, we, we were friends on social media, we had a lot of mutual friends, and then I started seeing all the mutual um, things that we were interested in that were just kind of parallels just across the board from law enforcement to jujitsu to music to to friends to all kinds of different things and just a mindset and attitude and then I started listening to him on some other podcasts and then I watched a documentary on Netflix and I was like you know what this is just the guy that it's time for me to talk to regardless um so what better way than to jump on and record the conversation so hopefully you guys get something out of it uh I thought he's a, a great guy to talk to I thought he gave a lot of really good inspiration on just how to be a better person overall which is going to help you in business you know he talks about you know, the stuff I just said there, he, he's such a likable guy and he just is accepted in all these different circles from, you know, different people that might be hard to get along with under normal circumstances. And he just kind of goes with the flow and he's got friends everywhere and people like him all over. And I think that that talent or that skill of being able to do the things he's talking about, like being a better communicator and being a people person and finding ways to take the best out of situations and the best out of people in conversations will help you not only have a better life, but help you in your business, whether it's real estate or owning a gym or, you know, whatever it is, being a better father, better being a better son, being a better dog owner, whatever it is. These are lessons that I think are very applicable for anybody who's listening to this podcast, regardless of what you do. So I did enjoy it and I really appreciate Nako coming on. I look forward to talking to him with again, talking to him again, sharing the mats with him and definitely checking out a show. Uh, as usual, the A-Game podcast is brought to you by the Naked, Naked Warrior recovery cbd and the nationwide business capital group so if you are looking for a cbd go to nicknick.com slash links and under our affiliates put in promo code a game when you go to check out a naked world recovery owned by a navy steel william brown himself and if you're looking for money for your real estate deals regardless of what you think you have or don't have as far as money experience or credit we can get you funded for a deal contact marianne directly through our links nicknick.com slash links 
Go to Affiliates and tell her the A-Game podcast sent you over, and she will get you set up with the Royal Carpet Treatment. We just got a couple of loans approved for some other investors, and uh, things are going really well over there. So I appreciate her. Definitely reach out to her. And while you're on that, if you're looking to get set up with some virtual assistants, definitely check out Revo Global as well under our Affiliates link and tell them we sent you over there. And last but certainly not least, nick at nick.com slash biggerpockets. We'll get you a free checklist for all the ways to bring value to your buyers. If you are a wholesaler, broker, or real estate agent, go check that out for free. And obviously, my biggest thing here is I want you guys to start doing real estate, and I would love for you to do it in some level with me. So you can text me, 516-540-5733. Text me the word real estate, and we will figure out if you want to buy properties from me, if you want to sell properties to me, or if you want to find a way that we can partner up on some deals and get you some deals under your belt in 2022. I have small to mid-sized multifamily mobile home parks and deals that we can get into. Um, fixing flips, buying holes, all kinds of different stuff. Let's just start a conversation. If you've reached out to me in the past and I've not responded, I apologize. Please reach out to me again via text at that number, and I promise you I will respond to you. Hope everybody's having a great day. Thank you very much to Knuckle Nolan. I appreciate it having him on my podcast, and I look forward to having him on again. I hope everybody's enjoying the New Year so far. Have a great day. All right, my guest today on the A Game Podcast is fighting out of Los Angeles, California. By way of growing up in New York City, he's worked for two of the largest and most prestigious police forces in the entire country, NYPD and LAPD. He has made his way to specialized assignments in crime units, tracking down repeat offenders of violent crimes and also doing undercover work, collecting intelligence and prosecuting gang members, prostitutes, pimps and pedophiles. And he was also assigned to the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force, where he received the top secret clearance and was tasked with investigating some of the world's most dangerous terrorist groups. You will also find him as the co-host of the Armbar Podcast. He is a music enthusiast, a fellow Gracie Jiu-Jitsu practitioner under the famous Henry Huron Gracie and my buddy Alex Stewart, who you guys should all check out as well. He's been seen brushing shoulders on social media with some of the biggest stars out there from the singer of Dropkick Murphy's Al Bar to Jocko Willing, Carly Flanagan, and even Gary Busey at times. Widely recognized from the famous documentary on Netflix, The Vanishing of the Sisu Hotel, which you might also recognize that a famous American horror story season was based on, which I believe was their most popular season. A jujitsu enthusiast, a music lover, a dog lover, my kind of guy. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the A Game Podcast, Detective Nako Nolan. Hey, thank you, Nick. I appreciate that. That's uh, your intros are always the illest. I mean, uh-huh, I thanks, love man. I love hearing your podcast where you come in hot on that. Appreciate, I appreciate that. Thank that, you, man. Thanks. You, there, you know, it's always there were so many things. I was actually cutting yours down. I was like, ah, you know, you had so many different things we could touch on, and I like that you're. You, know, you don't fit the normal bill for the law enforcement type of guy. You you have the creative side. You know you you've done all these different things. You're the the, the, the entertainment side now, and like it all kind of intertwines. And although I, I feel like a lot of the things are different, there's a lot of common similarities between it, which is always why I like bringing on guys from different walks of life. And, you know, I before I got into the path I was on, that's what I thought I was going to do is law enforcement. So I love just hearing about the experiences and the, the life experiences in general that have helped kind of shaped you to who you are from going from New York to LA, dealing with that type of person. And especially you, I know so many police officers, we'll, you know, we'll talk about mindset and mental health, but I know so many of them that are pessimistic and negative and just beat down rightfully so by the stuff they see every day. But I've heard you multiple times on podcasts when people give you like a, a terrible situation or try to get you to talk about some tragic thing. And you always top it off with, Here's the bright side I found out of this. Here's the lesson that came from this. And I feel like that's a choice 
that gets made is I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to focus on that. And other people don't want to accept that. So I just find you as a, a very inspiring breath of fresh air that people definitely need at this point in time. So I really appreciate you coming on and talking with us today. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. I appreciate that, uh, that assessments and your opinion on that. It took a lot of work. Uh, it didn't get like this overnight. I fortunately had a lot of good mentors and surrounded myself with a lot of interesting and very positive people through the years, especially like in the last like five to seven years of, you know, linking up with Jocko and Henner and Huron Gracie and uh, people at my gym that have really, you know, drilled in that, that mindset to me. So it's, it's infectious. I mean, they say, what is it? You're, you're the, you're the totality of your five closest associates. So get five kick-ass, great, positive people. And that's going to be your life for the most part. If, uh, if you follow what they say and what they do and just sit there and soak it in via osmosis. It's, it's pretty easy if I, I think so. So as you said about the pessimistic side of law enforcement, I was on that road before and, you know, drinking at bars, you know, just living an unhealthy lifestyle. So those five people are around me and that's the lifestyle they were doing. And that's the vortex I got sucked into. So, you know, it applies to any lifestyle or any, any person's occupation or family, what have you. So it's, um, that's the key to success for me anyway. Just keep it simple. I love that, man. I agree. The community, especially the jiu-jitsu community, which obviously we'll deep dive on, I think is a huge influence for people of all shapes and sizes, wherever they come from. I, I always love it because you can look at a, a jiu-jitsu room and it's the only place you can go to. And it's literally like cops and robbers and cowboys and Indians. And like, literally I'll watch two of my buddies rolling together, hanging out, having a great time. And then they leave. And one of them's a DEA agent and the other one's a drug dealer. And you would never know, like everybody gets along there, man. It's like the great equalizer. It's the, Matt always calls it the land of misfit toys. He's like, we're all broken and we all come here for a sense of community. And I have found it to be by far like the fastest and best, most accepting place of everybody flaws and all that brings them together. Absolutely. I, I mean, I've always subscribed to that mindset and I credit it to my old man when uh, just watching his actions through the years, he had friends from all over the spectrum, like Hell's Angels, uh, Mafia Dudes. Uh, priests, politicians, I mean, just a wide, diverse group of people. And I've, I've adopted that. So my, my, you know, core group of associates of all spectrums, you know, guys that did time, guys that are putting people behind bars, I mean, and everything else in between, you know, writers, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, spiritual people, you, you name it, I, I don't have any judgment, you know, just because you don't agree with one person's uh, way of, uh, views on whatever you have, you know, instead of 10% of what their, their views are, look at the 90% and focus in on that. You know, no one's ever going to be perfect. No one's going to ever mirror you and they shouldn't mirror you because that's boring. You're never going to learn anything. It was, you know, what am I going to learn from someone that has the same views as me? I already have those views. So let me find out what else is out there. Let me see what my blind spots are. So that's what I always seek. And I always gravitate, gravitated toward uh, the underdogs and kind of the rebels of society. And um, yeah, it's, it's made for an interesting life. That's for sure. I think that that's such a great perspective. I, I was talking to Brian Callen about that, about how when somebody comes and they bring him something, instead of reacting to it, he goes and he researches both sides, what he believes and what the other person believes, and then comes back and makes a, like a, a, an educated assumption and rebuttal to what's going on. And I think a big part of, in general, what people are tending to do, 
especially with like the Twitters and the social medias out there is not what you just said about going and looking at things and seeing, okay, what am I missing here? Let me look at like what my weak points or my blind spots are, educate myself on those and kind of find out more. And I, I think that that's a, a very interesting and educated and mature way to go about life that probably is why you keep finding all these new opportunities and these new groups and these things that have separated you. You know, it's like they say the ship, just one degree, every little thing you start to do to kind of brighten your horizons and open up your vision and have that peripheral is probably why you're up here and all the people that aren't are still, so like you said, sitting at the bars, dwelling on the negative and living in the old days. Yeah, I think when you come to have a conversation with someone, a debate or whatever, I, I look at it as I, I'm looking at the person to change my mind or to, to me to find out um, what am I missing. And, and in the past, or what a lot of people do is I want to put my opinion onto you, show you how I'm right. And I want now I look at you and I say, show me how, how I'm wrong. What am I missing? What can I learn? And, you know, it's the same thing from listening to your podcast. I'm like, the financial side of me is very, very thin. My math side, my math brain is horrible. So I like to listen to podcasts where I'm not, you know, I'm not an expert in what can I learn? What am I, I'm not interested in something. Why am I not interested in that? And then try to build upon that and be curious of why, why does that, you know, how did that come about? You know, can I fix it? Should I fix it? So that's, that's what I think is, uh, should be, should be uh, put out there more, especially with social media. And, it, and it's weird too, with social media, people look at, say someone is in the limelight and they'll go, the press will go through their, what they're following and what they're following could be used against them. You know, whatever it is, like I, you know, I follow, try to follow all types of different media just because I'm following Al Jazeera doesn't mean I'm a Muslim fundamentalist. It just means I'm interested in what they're saying because it could affect me, my, you know, my profession or what have you. But that, that's seen as a bad thing. Oh, wow, you listen to this, you listen to that. That means you sign off on that. Like, no, it just means I'm open to getting my mind changed and I want to learn. So, but unfortunately, yeah, we have these lanes and, you know, like self-identifying, all right, this is who you are. It's kind of like music before kind of Lollapalooza. It's like, oh, you're the <laughs> hardcore guy. You're the metal guy. It's like, you know, coming from Queens, New York, we'd listen to everything. Everything was, was hardcore, it was hip hop. You know, it was metal. You know, there wasn't anything really. Um, it was. It was all as long as it moved you. That's 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 what I was open to. So, I wish more people would kind of uh, expand their horizons and not trying to stick everyone in a box and just say you're the right wing guy, you're the left wing guy. You know, just be the guy that's open. Me too, man. I love that. And it's funny you say that. I think the last Lollapalooza I went to was headlined by Metallica and the Ramones. You know, it's yeah. a while ago. I'm dating myself, but it is like you said the things become a melting pot. And I think that it, it's too many labels, you know, people need to be a little bit more open and just, you know, get, like you said, just kind of go with the flow, be who you are, pick and choose what you want and don't put yourself in that box. But did that come from your law enforcement training of being able to listen to people? Cause obviously, you know, I, I imagine interrogation tactics and stuff like that. You have to be a good listener. You have to be listening for key things. Was that a trait that you were kind of taught or have you always really been a good listener and open-minded guy? I think it probably that probably the basis of that, it was, uh, I was like a solo child. So I didn't have any brothers or siblings. So I was always observing people. So, you know, you have to watch first or listen first and watch before you open your mouth or act. I mean, uh, you know, realistically, that's how it should be done. You know, so I think that was the foundation. And then, you know, your biomechanics maybe play somehow into your choosing your profession. Who knows? Does a profession choose you? 
or you choose the profession. As, as I go on through life, I find all these little little keys that open up these mysteries. So uh, that's something I'm just thinking about recently. I'm like, oh yeah, I just did, I did a lot of watching and listening, listening to adults. You know, when you're the only kid, you're just watching the adults and listening to what they have to say. But definitely, if you want to be a good interrogator or a good cop or person, you have to be a good communicator, uh, which you're going to miss a lot. And uh, you should be, be picking up a lot. Um, listen more, talk less. That's what I'm trying to do. It's, it's kind of uh, ironic that I'm doing a podcast. But yeah, that's kind of been what I'm trying to live my life is talk less, listen more, understand more and put down less. How do you come to it with such a position of a lack of ego? I mean, you, you're so... You seem very much like a sponge, you know, and that that doesn't come easy to a lot of people. I, I find, like, again, keep going back to jujitsu, it, it kind of beats the ego out of you if you want to stick with it long term because you, you find out real quick that you're not, mm. you know, kind of like the big swing and D in the room. So you're forced to either learn that and adapt and come back or just quit, which most people do. But you seem to be very grounded and comfortable in, in, in being in that position. Where did that come from? You know what? Um, it, it, yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. I've, I thought of that myself. You know what, you know, you see, like we talk about on the mats, when you're getting choked out, uh, you're, they say your inner self comes out when you're on the mats. And I, I like to have fun. I like to joke around. And when, when I get tapped out or I, I'm in a bad position or whatever, I laugh because I'm like, I'm like, wow, this is interesting. I've never been in this position or you got me on a good one. I'm like, I don't really, I take it serious, but I don't take myself serious. I'm like, I, I like to have fun. So I think if you can make fun of yourself, um, that, you know, that's, that throws out the whole ego thing. And then also uh, not being great in, in a lot of things, that'll, <laughs> that'll humble you and, uh, you know, equalize that ego, put that aside, because you're not great at things, but I, I'm great at, you know, just not uh, being open and having fun and not taking things so serious and just have a good time. Uh, like Henna uh, Gracie's, Henna uh, and Huron, they talk about keep it playful. That's one yeah. of their mantras. And that's what it is. We're rolling around with, we're doing stuff that we did as little boys, you know, beating the hell out of each other. So why are you taking it so crazy? I'm this belt, I'm that. Just have fun. You know, you're off for work, exercise, sweat, and keep it playful. So I keep that mindset at work and how I approach people. And when I find, find myself getting pissed, someone, you know, cut me off or whatever, I miss my exit. I'm like, it's all good. You know, no one died. We move on, we laugh and just uh, push on. Well, that was going to be my follow-up question too, because when we opened this, you said that it's 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 been a, a daily progression and a long work to get to where you are with that, you know. And I think that that's a like everything, you know. I keep going back to it, but like the journey to black belt comes from a ton of beatings along the way, probably way more beatings than victories when you actually like look at the the climb up there. And it's it's a constant evolution of of working on it every day, even when you get to that point. Now you got a you're a black belt, but so is Henner and Heron and Alex, and like we're not even the same thing at that point. So I think people they get into this habit of I'm gonna I'm gonna be better, I'm gonna be positive, I'm gonna get in shape, and then they go and eat a McRib or they you know have a, a bad day or they skip the gym or they get negative, and then they let it just spiral out of control and they go forget the whole thing. And for whatever reason it is, I don't know, maybe it's just me and the people I know, but sometimes it's that familiar place of getting to that negative point or being mad or it feels good or it feels familiar and you let it do that. And it becomes very hard to make that conscious choice to turn yourself out of that. How do you like stop and take a breath and identify that that's what's happening and you're starting to, to tighten up and you're starting to get in a bad mood and go negative and talk yourself back into let, let's keep it playful. Let's keep it positive. Let's, let's, let's write this track. 
it's exactly what you just said, a, a conscious, uh, conscious thought. All these other things that we do of, you know, hitting the horn, you know, cutting someone off, th those are all like primal instincts. You step on my toe, I'm smashing you. Um, I walk past a 7-Eleven, I want a Slurpee. I see some hot chick I want to hit on. They're all just, they're just, that, that's our, um, you know, our uh, amygdala. It's, uh, you know, that caveman instinct. So when I start thinking that, especially when it comes to food, I'm like, okay, when I train tomorrow, how is this going to make me feel better? Am I going to have more cardio? Uh, is this going to be good for my long-term? Next time I go to my doctor, is my cholesterol going to go down? So it's a conscious, conscious decision of, if I want to do this, let me see, let me think about it. And will I do it in the next five minutes? And once you think about it, your, your mind, the prefrontal cortex, your, your, your new brain per se will say, no, you, you don't need that. That's not the right road to go down. Don't call that person. Don't um, get online. Like, you know, they talk about an email, you're all fired up, shoot off an email, <laughs> stick, it in, stick it in drafts, come back, you know, the next day. I mean, it's a reason why they had that expression, uh, sleep on it. Because when you're all fired up, using that, uh, that old brain, the lizard brain, and then when you slept on it, your, all your cortisol levels went down, your adrenals, and you're in a right space frame of mind, you come back, you're like, no, you know what, maybe I shouldn't buy that property or that, that vehicle I think I'm going to flex on and it's going to make me feel good. I don't really need that. But at the moment you did, but when you slept on it, you didn't. So take that time, five minutes, a minute, a night. And that's what's really put me over the hump of really going down that road of making bad decisions work-wise, personality-wise, personal-wise in my off time. So just taking a step back, thinking, closing your eyes, breathing, even breathing for 10 seconds, <sighs> letting it out. And you're like, okay, eh, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> I'm like, you know, go ahead, you know, go in front of me, you know. I love that, man. You know, I wasn't even going to go down this road, but that emotional intelligence, I think, is so key to so many different things in life. And I recently read a, a book. I'll send you a copy. I, for, I forget the name offhand, but it's it's by this guy, David Perlmutter. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he writes a lot of books about the brain. And the entire book was about that, like this, the, the lizard brain and the amygdala and the emotional responses and about how your brain makes those connections. So the more you give into that primal instinct, the more you're just trained to do it, do it, do it. But like you can literally, by taking that breath and drinking that water for 10 seconds and sleeping on it, you're, you're physically changing the connections in your brain to train it to make less impulsive decisions. And when you start to like see the examples in the book of the stuff like the food choices or even like grabbing your phone, there'll be times I'll put my phone in airplane mode and I'll be like, I'm going to watch a movie. And then the next thing I know, I'm trying to log into Facebook and I'm like, what am I doing? I don't even like... I don't even know I'm doing it. I'm like, it's that damn amygdala. It's exactly what he's talking about. So it's like push it out of sight. And all these things that I think a lot of the habits that people have that they don't even realize they've become literally like addicted to some of these things that you can physically identify and change, I, I think are extremely important. And to, to what you just said, I had a, a mentor that taught me a lot of things not to do by watching him do stuff. But the one thing I did take away from him as I always watch when people would throw these ridiculous ideas or come at them like very aggressively and he would never, never like jump into it or, or, or do anything to throw like gas on the fire. He would always keep it cool. And I asked him once, I was like, dude, how do you not say stuff? How do you bite your tongue in those situations? And he's like, I carry this water bottle with me 
everywhere I go. And I make sure there's always water in it. And as soon as somebody says something and I want to answer too quick, I sip my water for 10 seconds and I just think. He goes, and generally after that 10 seconds, I don't want to say what I wanted to initially say. And I'm always glad I didn't say it. You know, you can't unsay that. And I think that that's, um, if, if you take nothing else away from this conversation that can help people in life and business, I think it's that. You know, you, you can't take back those hateful words. You can't take back those, those actions that could get you a breakup or hurt somebody's feelings or damage a relationship or ruin a financial relationship. Like that's such a huge piece right there to, to business and life in general. Yeah, that's, those are beautiful words. Uh, great advice. I, I sign off on that wholeheartedly. Well, I stole I it from it. you. So you got, you get advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Four Agreements. That's a, another phenomenal book. That's super simple and just, you know, very basic, but so, so, you know, so easy to forget, you know, that just never <laughs> taking things personal. I mean, talk about that online or in person when I'm on a line at a riot and everyone's yelling, throwing things or whatever. It's like, they don't know who I am. You know, they'll never probably see me again. So why am I going to take it personal? They're not yelling at me. Uh, they're yelling at the government. They're yelling at the shield I wear. They're yelling at their bad uh, home life. Uh, they're, you know, however they were raised. That you know, it's it's internal. It's internal. That that the yelling at themselves really. And uh, so, why am I going to engage in that? I, I feel bad. I, I empathize and I try to solve those those that problem and them change those feelings through uh, you know successful dialogue or whatever. But unfortunately, you know, you, you know. 10 years ago, whatever, I might have engaged, but I learned that it's not the way. And that's, uh, we see that going down now all the time on, <laughs> on social media, just don't engage, smile, and just say, have a nice day, you know, enjoy the rest of the day. I hope you feel better. And nine times out of 10, no one could argue with that, you know, <laughs> and if they do, that's on them. You know? Exactly. So. Yeah. And I love that, man. And you, you touched on a couple of things there that lead down the road that I want to talk about. So law enforcement, what, what are some of the things that made you go into it? Because I'd love to talk about your initial view of what you thought it was going to be versus some of these things that it turned into, like you were talking about. I don't think when people go, I know I never did when I was thinking about going into the NYPD or going and processing for FBI or DEA or any of these things, you don't think you're going in there to stand on a a riot line and have people throw shit in your face or, you know, have a, have to deal with the defund the police thing or have these people have these, you know, bad impressions of it. You know, you go in there wanting to make a positive difference and, you know, you're seeing the good and everything before you're corrupted by all the bad and everything and seeing that pessimistic worst side of people. So what was it initially that, that made you say, this is what I want to do. This is the arena I want to go into. Like I was saying before, as, as I go on through life, I find all these little key elements uh, when you're searching you know, an improvement, you find out what, what went wrong in the past and how you came to be your roots. And uh, as I look back, I've kind of always been a protector just, you know, within the neighborhood, you know, defending our neighborhood when things, you know, uh, you know, people come into the neighborhood that didn't belong and that were there to do harm to us. Uh, between friends, breaking up friends and bringing people together uh, to this day, I try to always mend fences with you know, conflict, you know, um, off-duty you know, relationship side. I've always been a bringer of people. That's why I've had friends from all sides of the plate. And so that was always in my DNA chain. And and I see my relatives were like that, my grandfather, my my dad as well. So that was passed down to me of of sticking up for the the underdog, goes back to that, sticking up for, you know, the lost cause and and have coming up with 
seeing a problem, coming up with a solution. So you, you pair that mindset and, you know, you thrust that into um, some, I was always a voracious reader and a, a lover of movies. So certain movies and certain books, you know, really keyed me in on that. I was like, wow, I can, you know, policing, this is great. It's a great, it's a, it's a, the family I never had of friends and brothers and all that with a good cause and you have fun and you're not behind a desk and you're out there in the streets interacting with people from all over. That's why I've, I, I loved the places I worked where you could be dealing with a celebrity, a millionaire, a homeless guy, and everyone in between, and all within eight to 12 hours. So that, that thirst of being curious and wanting to engage with all walks of life, I mean, man, policing, you get it all. It's, it's great. And not one day, one day from the other, it's never the same. So it's just all those things combined, policing's perfect for that. That's awesome, man. And when we were talking a little bit before we started recording about just New York City, I was telling you some of the places I used to live and you were saying you used to work in some of those areas. And one of them specifically we talked about was uh, basically, I guess they call it like Midtown West Hell's Kitchen area now. And I remember there was a year that I was a realtor in the city and uh, under Marlon Suarez, Henzo Gracie Blackbell, give him a shout out. But I remember like there was people that would come in and say, hey, you know, we're coming back into New York. We want to find a place. And they'd be like, hey, Hell's Kitchen. And they'd be like, are you crazy? Like you can't even, I don't even want to be in the taxi going past 42nd street. I might get shot. And I'm like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was blown away that I would find these people that were there 10 years, maybe a little bit less. And the neighborhoods had completely changed from you would not even want to drive past it to now there's luxury high rises and you can't even get a place there if you wanted it. And I would see that transition in such a short amount of time all over the city. And I thought it was very interesting to watch how things have changed. And one of my buddies, uh, you might know him actually from the old days, Frankie Santiago, he, he was in a book, uh, No Heroes, No Villains. And he was in like the worst part of the Bronx when there was like just corruption and all those things. And then to watch him talk about the way the city's changed and see some of the old timers here now talking about the way Chicago has changed. I love to hear how New York City has changed over the years in your eyes growing up there being a police officer and to the way it is today. Yeah, yeah, it's, I find myself thinking about that. It's like, oh, New York City's changes change. And, and I, of course, everything changes, but I think it's more, I changed. It's not, it's not the city that I used to interact with, like going down to Times Square as a teenager, you know, wilding out on a deuce and going into, <laughs> you know, friggin' porno theaters with my buddies and just being an idiot and, and just watching, you know, guys dealing dope and all that. It's like, I, you know, I don't need that anymore, you know? And so if that's not there and, you know, different other elements that I really loved, you know, it's like, so that's, it's not me. So yeah, the city's changed, but I also changed. So it, it all starts and ends with me. So I still love New York city, you know, going back for Thanksgiving, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a golden era, but I think anyone that's growing up, it's it's going to be their golden era in 20 years, 30 years, and they're going to be saying it's changed. So I just look at it, um, New York City, just be grateful for what I had at that time. I mean, to be a kid in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, compared to what I see the kids now, how they interact with each other, and or more importantly, how their parents treat them and you know, kind of shelter them. I mean, as long as I made it home for dinner, I was fine. And uh, my parents could care less. Like they knew, they set me up for success of how to deal with street life. And I knew how to, you know, shake, rattle and roll on the streets as a kid. And they weren't worried about that. Uh, they should have been, but they, uh, <laughs> they, they weren't. So 
yeah, um, it's yeah. I don't really recognize New York as much when I go back, but you know, it's it's always it'll always be my home, and that's uh, that was my education for sure from zero to uh, twenty two years old until I came out here, and then I moved back. I came out here in LA in '96 uh, to join the police department. Then I had some family stuff going. I had to go back to New York in 2000, and uh, was there for 9/11 and what have you, and left in 2004. So that's when like the city really changed for me when the towers went down. Uh, I think about the city's soul changed rapidly and uh, can't say better for worse. It was just, uh, it was just different for me. And I came back to LA and um, never say never, but I think I'm here for good, found my niche living at the beach and yeah. I have, you know, the best of, uh, I think the best of coaches and, um, you know, curricular activities, surfing, jujitsu, music, all the things that I have always loved. Um, so yeah, I think I'm, I'm set, I'm satiated, but who knows in 10 years, you know, where uh, I may, may be out in Chicago, go back, uh, go. Re retire out to Chicago with uh, where, my, where my girl's from. So who knows? Great spot in the summer, man. I just, uh, I, I really didn't enjoy the city as much. And I, I spent the last couple of weeks out there with some of my buddies that came in and a great, great summer spot. If you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate sooner, whether you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesaling, fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com. Go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure. Or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on www.nicknicknick.com slash links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today. Yeah, Chicago's really. like Chicago's like New York without the attitude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really nice Quiet. people. Really nice people. Uh, you know that Midwest values. It's a, there's a thing to that. So. Yeah, man, for yeah. sure. I, I love that. So then, 9/11 is an interesting thing for me because that that to me was what it shifted me from being kind of a lost soul, just like you say, kind of goofing off, going to college just to drink and party with really no direction, to watching people make a conscious choice and guys that were my drinking buddies. I'm watching go, we're going to literally just drop out of school and join the Marine Corps, go help with the rescue efforts. And I was like, I have to do something with my life at this point. And then it, I, I wanted to bring it up to you because I heard you say, I think you were in Catskill. I was in Albany uh, for school at SUNY Albany that day. And I remember driving back, I guess that was Tuesday. I was driving back that Friday was the first day that they actually opened up the streets to drive back to Long Island because you couldn't call anybody, like no phones were working. What was it like for you being, uh, I mean, you must've been within an hour where I was if you were up in uh, upstate New York that day. Yeah, I was up there with my family and we uh, ended up uh, boogieing down back to New York City after that. And I just knew that, you know, the world was never going to be the, the same after that. And uh, it really, um, it sucks to be up. Well, it was good to be with family, but it sucked not being in the city when that all happened. And to know my brothers were down there and uh, in danger and as well as, you know, neighbors and everyone else that I knew that were, were in harm's way. And it will continue to be you know, do the, do everything else, the fallout from that. So from, yeah, from 
the incident after, you know, for like six to, you know, 12 months, we were down there in various different entities as far as, you know, search and recovery, evidence collection out in Staten Island at the landfill. So yeah, I think that was a total mindset change for a lot of people, including myself, where things got a lot more serious and you, I, I valued things a lot more, time with friends, conversations, a good meal, um, wherever you are, just really appreciating what you have because you don't, you don't know, you know, who would it, knowing that unless you were following, you know, the, the counterterrorism beat back then, no one would have known that that would have happened, you know, except for a select few. So that, that definitely woke up a lot of people. Of, don't take anything for granted. It was just, this is real. It's on our soil. Yeah, I want to thank you for your service, man. I know you did a lot, obviously, in your whole career, but especially for the rescue efforts and stuff you did there. I've heard some of those stories. So thank you for what you did. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's what everyone everyone would have done. If, you know, I mean, everyone, it was, it was beautiful down there to see everyone pitched in from, I remember waking up, I was on a, a barge. Uh, they had like a rest area on a barge right in the, on the harbor there and went down to take a break. And I wake up and um, someone's shaking me. I look up and it's uh, Evander Holyfield. Oh, he's, like, hey. he's like, hey, champ. And you know, I'm wiping the cobwebs from my eyes. I think I'm in a dream. And this guy's head's <laughs> massive. <laughs> he's looking down at me. You know, and I'm like, uh, I'm like, hey, what's up? And he's like, yeah, I just want to say thank you. And I was like, for what? He's like, oh, you know, you guys doing your thing down here. Appreciate it. And I was like, oh, wow. Uh, thanks, champ. All right. So I went back to sleep. I thought I was dreaming. I wake up. And <laughs> I get up and it's... Uh, some of the staff that was there, I was like, I said, hey, uh, this might sound crazy, but was uh, Evander Holyfield in here? And they're like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, wow. So I wasn't dreaming. So, you know, so from people, celebrities at the top, and then all the ladies that would be on the West Side Highway with signs and people that were volunteered all that time for uh, back massage and masseuses. I mean, we had so much support there. So those are the people I always champion, the unsung heroes. Our stuff, that was our job. That's what we trained to do that's what we always wanted to do our life but the people that never were in that mindset mind frame that pitched in at ground zero cooking food what have you sending letters those are the real heroes because they didn't sign up for any of that they came down and showed up and made a huge difference in my life that's for sure it's very humble of you man i you know i think that they would disagree but i do love all that you know it's it's it sounds very you know almost cheesy but i love this year on the anniversary where people I, it might have happened every year. Maybe I just didn't see it. But this is the first year I remember people posting a lot of things about 912 of like, mm. this is the America that I want. This is the day that I want to remember because this is when we were really at our best for the first time in a long time. And you think of how far we are from that today with the division of like, that was a day that everybody was on the same team. And like, that was a really cool feeling. And I, and I think I'm to the point in my life now where for a long time, like I thought of 9-11 and I got kind of chills and goosebumps. And now thinking about that and saying that gives me almost the same feeling for a different reason, but I think equally as important, you know, is, is there, is there something that you take from that, that maybe you see across did that stick like within the law enforcement community, or is that something that, you know, people kind of forgot over time that they need to be reminded of? Of nine twelve, you're talking about? Yeah, just the sense of like, you know, everybody is in this together and everybody is on the same team. When we all are yeah. in line, we have to watch out for each other and take care of each other. Yeah, I think we saw a little bit of that uh, during the pandemic. Like the first, well, I, at least I did, I was still out there working. Like the first, um, I want to say the first month 
as I was walking around the neighborhood, uh, you know, very few people out, but when you'd encounter someone, they'd make eye contact with you, they'd smile, you know, give you a thumbs up or just an acknowledgement. And that never happens, at least in my neighborhood, you know, either is in Queens here or you're here where I'm at in uh, South Bay of just having that human connection, not making it all about you. So that was great. And then a kind of same thing with after September 11th, you know, things got back to uh, normal, whatever that is. And then people forgot those lessons. But yeah, if you could take that mindset, a nine twelve mindset of just people holding the door, making eye contact, smiling, having patience, and actually asking. I remember a lot of people that you know you'd see someone at a store or whatever, and like, "Hey, how are you?" And like, really mean it. And I like, "Hey, what's up, guy? What do you need?" You know, type of thing. <laughs> it was like, "No, really. Like, how are you? I'm doing all right. Oh, good to hear that." And then they would move on. So to get back to that that human aspect, I mean, it's huge. I mean, that's everything because if you really care for someone, you, you're never gonna hate them or it's gonna make it that much harder. So if you could smile and uh, just really be genuine with, with someone, I mean, that goes a long way. I mean, and, and when it happens to you, it's like a ton of bricks when someone really, you know, makes a really small gesture and you're just taken aback because it just doesn't happen every day. I mean, even the simplest things like opening doors, it's weird, like I'll open doors for, you know, kids, uh, you know, women, of course, and men and people really, I, I don't know if it's, like a lost art, but the people like, oh, wow, thank you. Like, <laughs> just, just holding the door. I mean, I'm like, you're welcome. It's fine. It's, of course. I mean, just, you know, what you do as a human being. So, yeah, focusing on those little things and making that connection instead of just seeing a body, just see the person in the hallway at work, you know, in the sidewalk, the deli, wherever your domain is. It's a, it's a person with a life that has a family and keep that aspect and, I think it'll make your life a whole lot better. I love that, man. That's probably going to be a clip I pull for that. That was really well said. I like that. I appreciate it. Yeah, just, yeah, just things I'm thinking as, as you're asking these questions, those feelings that come back, they're very joyful during tragedy. That's the best thing about tragedy. It brings everyone together. It's like at a funeral or a wedding school, but it seems like a funeral you see that brings out a lot of people. And obviously it's a bad thing if someone died, but then you reconnect with people and it's, it could be a joyous thing. That's what's great about, you know, being Irish is Irish funerals. Um, you know, it's, it's more of a party, you know, it's like, yeah, he died, but let's celebrate all the days we had to spend with him. That's, that's a lot of my basis is yeah, it sucks that so-and-so died, wish he didn't, but we had the privilege of working with him, knowing him, loving him and focusing on that. It's easy to focus in on a, the, you know, ungrateful side. Oh, he can't be here for me. He can't be here for my wedding or whatever. Like, no, no, he was, he was here for a lot of years and enjoy that. Of course, it's a privilege to have good people in your life. Man, that's such a great segue into your podcast because f the reason I started this, the, the thing that pushed me over was actually Billy Grazi Day having a conversation with Jamie Josta about how he was very thankful that he had his podcast because he was able to stay in touch with guys like, um, like Vinnie Paul. And then mm. Vinnie Paul passed away and he was like, you know, you play for years with these guys. And then you move to different places, you have families, they're on tour when you're in town, you're in town when they're on tour, and you don't get to connect with these guys anymore. He's like, but because of the podcast, you make time and you get to engage and have like an uninterrupted hour with somebody. And he's like, and if nobody ever listened to it, who cares? Like, I got to have that time with Vinnie Paul four times a year. And that was really exactly like you said, because, you know, life gets in the way. And this initially gave me a way to reconnect 
and really have good, deeper conversations with people that I thought I knew that you realize you don't really know that much about and it allows you to know them better. And, you know, like this, like me and you have been friends online. We have like the same circles, but I was like, dude, this is just going to be a great time for, even if I forgot to record the whole thing, which I've done before, but I didn't do this. Sure. I'd be like, it's just going to be a cool thing to be able to get like a, a time to connect and just meet somebody and be a person. Because I think too often people have that intention of, I'm going to keep in touch with this person. I just saw them at my mom's funeral. And then three months go by and they never connect. Whereas this kind of forces me to do that. It's my favorite thing about doing podcasts. So talk about the Armbar podcast, how that came about and, and some of the things that you're enjoying for doing that because you're very articulate. You got a great announcer's voice. You're perfect for it. And I've been listening to some of the episodes. They're real fun. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, that all came from uh, my partners. Um, well, it was first, it was Alex Stewart, who's a black belt instructor, friend of ours at Grace University. Awesome dude. And uh, my, my co-host now, uh, Mike Perez, and I was their first guest. And uh, they were also on with uh, another student at uh, Grace University, uh, Vic, great guy. So they had me on. And then, you know, just life happens. So, you know, everyone, you know, has to commute, their job changes, uh, priorities change. And then so, um, you know, Alex couldn't do it anymore. And then um, uh, Vic had a bow out. So um, Mike asked me, hey, you want to jump in as a... Uh, the co-host, I was like, sure. You know, that's uh, one of my favorite things now is just to say yes. You know, like, hey, you <laughs> want to try this food? Yes. You want to, you know, you be a guest on this? Yes. Like, just have fun with it and see where it takes you instead of you know being critical, like, oh, what could I get out of this? Or you know, just being selfish, like, yeah, let me help you. Yes, of course. So, yeah. So it's been a great, great vehicle. I've met some great people throughout the you know law enforcement, military. Um, and uh, other communities that we explore, martial arts, and maintain some great friendships. Like hopefully this between uh, you and I moves on to bigger and better. When I go out to Chicago, we'll link up and roll or whatever. 100%. And um, so, yeah, it's the same thing. It's uh, getting involved with something um, and uh, hopefully helping some people along the way. You know, it's just trying to, like, again, being that protector, you know, it goes along with mentoring and teaching. So that's always been my essence of just trying to help people out. So the podcast is just another forum. You know, if someone gets one granular piece of advice or one of our guests, get, they get turned onto their book and it, you know, it shifts their, their boat somewhat uh, into, the, into the positive. And it's like, man, my job is done. If I'm, I'm not in it for, you know, any type of money, that, that's the money right there. The relationships and, and changing some lives, hopefully, you know, more, more so in myself and then other people that, you know, that listen to it and, even if they just have a fun time for an hour listening to us, you know, perfect. And that's what's great about podcasts too. When you're talking about with friends, like you mentioned uh, Billy, just, man, I mean, one of the, I, I couldn't say enough things. I mean, he almost seems like it's, he's like a superhuman when it comes to genuineness and kindness. Um, you would never figure that. I would never have thought that from a guy that's in biohazard, you know, <laughs> yeah. a tough guy, Brooklyn, you know, all that. And you meet him and he's just a complete sweetheart. I mean, beautiful soul. And you know, how many times do you have good friends where you could sit for one to two hours and really have a conversation? Sometimes a lot of people don't have that luxury. So podcast is that great opportunity to have a good conversation about things you wouldn't really normally ask people about their upbringing and the parents or you know the training and experience. You just go on for, hey, what's going on in the last week or so? So it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And same thing with social media people talk about the negatives, like recently, you know, it's Facebook was caught, you know, changing the algorithms or whatever. And, but think about all the positives, like just how we linked up here. 
that would have never happened if it wasn't for social media. So I'm looking at, I just look at all the positives, you know, hit the like stuff on the cool stuff and the stuff that's uh, divisive, you just move on and the algorithm forgets about that. Like, hey, <laughs> he, he doesn't like that. He likes looking at, uh, you know, uh, cats and friggin' uh, and jujitsu and, you know, guys firing weapons or whatever, whatever you're into. And uh, that's it. You're, you're the algorithm. I mean, it's what you want to see. So don't let anyone uh, dictate what, what goes on in your life and surround yourselves with guys like Billy and man, you're off to the races because he's a force multiplier in just uh, humanity. What a solid individual. Can't say enough great things about him. Yeah, man, I'll tell you him and him and Alex, every time I go out to California, they always take care of me. And it, it was almost nice that, uh, not nice the pandemic happened, but the last couple of times I came in, Billy wasn't on tour. So we did get to hang out. We got the train. And one of the times I came in, you know, he was like, Hey, meet me at this time. Took me over there, introduced me. Hey, roll with this guy, roll with this guy, meet this guy, meet this guy. <laughs> Took me like into a closed door. One of those, like the, the green door opens and it's like a secret jujitsu room there that I like, I didn't even know existed. And he, you know, we rolled with Ortega and like uh, the dude, Zach Cunningham and a couple other guys over there. And He's always been really good and linked me up with Alex and, and man, Alex would meet me in the morning and do privates and the guy is just a oh man. He feels like a freaking 700 pound man on top of it. I'm like, what do you do? Like, I can't do anything to him. It's crazy, man. But they've both been so good. And I, I remember we went out one night. I actually see Brian Callen, funny enough. And uh, Alex had done my podcast and I made a joke at Billy of like, hey, you know, some people do my podcast. Other guys don't. And he like made a face like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, you know, I asked you to do it and you, you didn't do it. And he was, and he was, he was, he was pissed, not like at me, but you could tell he was like, I would never disrespect my friends like that. And I was like, dude, I'm, I'm only kidding. I'm not really mad. I'm just, I'm busting your balls. He's like, well, I didn't know you asked me. And I was like, I, but you could tell that like, it meant a lot to him that he mm -hmm. was like, that's not what I would do. You know, like if you asked me to do something and come support you, I would. And I could see that like, that's where it came from. And I was like, dude, I know that a hundred percent. If I, if I thought anything different, I wouldn't have even made a joke, but it, that loyalty and that friendship and those relationships, that's like that old school, hardcore Brooklyn fucking, that does not get broken. You know what I mean? It was a really big deal to him. And it was cool to see that and be like, this is like a really important thing to him. And, you know, I, I spent some time on the road with those guys and he's just always been like somebody that I always looked up to. I always respected. I always, you know, watched to be like, you know, I'd like to be more like Billy. Like that's a, that's a guy I could always look up to and, and, you know, not to go too far off topic, but even Alex on your podcast, when he was co-hosting as well, I love the dynamic of, you know, he's a guy in the mats that, you know, he's, he's playful, but he's obviously a killer. He's very serious. And to hear the way that you guys interact on that podcast, I think is very enlightening because you're military and they're serious topics, but the way you guys mess with each other or will just completely like interrupt some like very serious topic and make some like crazy joke just to break the rhythm and just the interaction of like the funny and then the playful and the messing with each other and then protecting each other. And, and then the way you guys articulate stuff, you know, I think that there might be a misconception of like these crime vi victim guys and, you know, uh, Marine combat and jujitsu guys, are, it's going to be meathead talk. And it's not at all. Like Alex has some, said some of the more, every time I train with the guy, I told him he's like freaking Yoda or Mr. Miyagi because he always leaves me with something. He's like, before you go, remember, like, if you ever feel like you want to tap out, if you hold on 10 seconds and you don't fall, like he gives me these things. He's like, that wasn't for jujitsu. That was for life. And I'm like, shit, man, you did it again. Like, he's just so well worded, just like I'm finding with you. Like, you just, you choose your words and your message 
really articulately and precisely to get those words across. And I think you do that very well, which obviously translates well. So I'm encouraging everybody to check out multiple episodes of that podcast. I wanted a deep dive. I listened to back episodes. You guys have had Billy on, you've had uh, um, Jocko on, like there's been all kinds of great stuff on there. So I, I really enjoy it. And I think it, it, it checks a lot of boxes for a lot of different audiences. I appreciate that. Yeah. Alex is deep. He, uh, I would, you know, it's, it's always good to hear him, you know, just in the, even in the locker room, just like two minutes, sometimes they'll leave those little gems like that little theoretical things. They're like, Hmm. I'm like, I never thought of that. I'm like, damn, Alex got me. That's great. So yeah, I can't say enough about the talent that's, that's over at Gracie university. So many wide, you know, such a wide berth of great dudes from all over the spectrum, like, you know, Billy and, Remember the first day seeing one of my academy class? Yeah, just the, the wide berth of people that you talked about in the jujitsu spot. My very first day at Grace University, I opened up the locker room. I bump into, literally bump into Vince Vaughn, almost, you know, knock into him. He's like six, six something. And then my academy classmate, I haven't seen in like 20 years. And then a couple other people, I was like, wow, this is going to be an interesting place. Uh, look at these individuals. And uh, man, you know, to have guys like that, like Alex and, uh, and Billy, just to throw you little tidbits of knowledge, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I'm very grateful to have chosen that, that school to learn under those guys and with those students. So, so let's jump into that a little bit. What made you choose jiu-jitsu? Like, how did that whole journey come about? Uh, actually, yeah, through hardcore music. Uh, a buddy of mine in a Boston hardcore scene uh, linked me up with Jocko. And then uh, if anyone listens to Jocko Willing's podcast, if they have it, like the one person left on earth that hasn't listened, and uh, subscribe to his podcast, you'll be a better person. So he talks about jujitsu. Uh, he's a black belt as well. You know, he has a lot of correlations to life and he ties it to that. So between him and my buddy that introduced me to him, uh, and I think it was, might've been one other person at work. I'm, I'm big into five. He, he had three things within my like ecosystem. It's like a, it's like a red flag. I'm like, huh? That's that's pointing me in a direction. Let me let me take that direction. You know, whether it's a book, a movie, or someone I should know, or a hobby. I'm like, that's stupid. You know, hey, listen, that's they're pointing you in a direction. So I said, let me look into this jujitsu thing, and I went online. And at the time, I'm just looking up jujitsu, and I find I stumbled onto a web page that talked about uh, Horian Gracie, uh, my instructor's dad, and he was saying the first jujitsu studio was out of his garage in Hermosa Beach and it was on Third Street. And at the time I was living on Second Street. So again, it was like this beacon. It's like, wow, that the birthplace of jujitsu in North America and the United States was down the block from me. I'm like, okay, yes, this is something I should be doing. And it's someone I should be doing it with. And Horian was at that time retired and his sons, Henry and Huron, uh, had GU, Grace University. So I'm like, that's where I'm going. This is, this is where the, the compass is pointing. And man, I, I, stum I stumbled onto gold. I mean, just, uh, it was <laughs> just dumb luck. Was, I travel around pre-pandemic and try to do drop-ins at all different places wherever I'm traveling. And I mentioned those guys where they train and people's eyes light up. They're like, wow, you get to you know, train and you know, roll with them and learn. I'm like, yeah, and I'm you know, friends with them as well. So it's, you know, it's just amazing treasure. So uh, it's funny, I'm on a podcast about, you know, a lot of your foundations about, you know, like wealth and finance and real estate. And through the years I've learned for me anyway, where works best is uh, collecting, collecting memories and over merchandise, which, you know, is kind of a, you know, it's a switch. It works for me. So my, 
mindset the last couple of years is like, you know, trying to get rid of assets and making living a really small, simplistic samurai lifestyle and finding out what really makes me tick and the things that make me tick are great conversations, a good healthy meal and a physical activity and something artistic. And those things, it doesn't cost a lot of money. So if people are out there trying to fill a void with, uh, with other things, not saying it's bad or not, that you don't have to, you know, you could have a 500 square foot studio if you buy that and you're cool. Just learn how to be appreciative of those small things and, and find out what, what makes you work. And do you really need, do you really need a six bedroom house? And if you do find out what's that, what's that reasoning behind that? Are you trying to fulfill something, trying to flex? Uh, was it society saying that that's their version of success? So I don't say anything's right or wrong, but just really explore those feelings. So that's where I've been moving toward in the last you know couple of years of just keeping it simple and you know diving deep into really what makes me happy. And what I found out what makes me happy is just that, just living a very simple existence and, and being in the moment. I love that, man. I couldn't agree more. I think some of the the misconceptions that more is better and money makes you happy is just so wrong. You know, some of the times when I was living in the smallest apartment with the least amount of money were some of the happiest times of my life, you know? Right. Isn't that what everyone says? Yeah. When I was a bachelor, I had, you know, living in a closet. It was just simple. <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah, when I, when I get things of, you know, of importance or whatever, or things I have, yeah, I, I, I start like giving it away, you know, if uh, someone enjoys it more, you know, I've got a good, I had a good comic book collection. If I find out someone that likes, sort of thing. I'm like, here, here you have it. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, a couple of thousand dollars for it, but knowing I had a connection and made someone happy that day, that's the real treasure. So that's, that's what I'm collecting those memories, you know, instead of uh, memorabilia. So. I'm with you on that. I, I love that. And I, I think, like you said, those, the relationships are so important. You know, the, um, I heard you talking about morale, just like people always talking about bad morale in the police department going back to like the five people. I, I can't think of enough of, any place else that there's a sense of community like that, that picks each other up when they're down and celebrates each other's wins and like that kind of stuff. You know, I, I can't think of a single thing I, I've bought or like a meal I've eaten that has made me feel as good as when I go to jujitsu in the morning, get some great training in. And then we just kind of hang out after for sometimes mm. hours go by and everyone's like, crap, I got to get my kids. I got to do this. I got to go to work, whatever it is. But like just the people that are there and the just kind of letting it all out physically and verbally and being around people that you could tell like are in the moment and, and are really there. And, and it, there's just something different about that environment when you find the right group. And I, I wanted to bring that up because I do train all over the country as well. And I'll say the energy and the camaraderie you guys have at Gracie U is, is excellent. It's outstanding. Like it's a great instructional gym, but even the way like it, it's intimidating to walk into as a visitor, you know, like I came in and he runs teaching and he's staring at me and my belt's not tied the right way. And I'm like, ah, oh, shit, like, what's he going to say? And he came over, he just kind of gave me a wink. and was like, I remember, like, just made you feel good. Kind of came over, shook your hand. And afterwards, even some of the guys there that just beat my ass came over to me. This one guy, I forget his name offhand. He kind of like, he was a kind of like a dirty blonde hair guy, kind of big. He was a special forces guy of some sort. He was a brown belt, probably a black belt now, but he beat my ass. And then after he came over and he just gave me this big hug and he was like, I love you. And I was like, that's like, <laughs> like so intense, but such like just a good intense energy, man. And uh, across the board, like the people I've met there, like the Billies and the Alex and you and stuff has been really good. So, you know, transitioning to that, some of the guys that have risen through the ranks over the years 
that I've kind of grown with, like Mark Turner, who runs BJJ Lab out here. He's got five five by five submission ready. And then uh, Aaron and Marcel, uh, Black Belts under Matt Sarah and Brown Belt under Matt Sarah, they have Endeavor One. And they're all working with local police precincts and law enforcement to train them for free and find ways to go out and help train law enforcement to really help change some of the erratic behavior and some of the things that people are posting there on social media because they've seen how jujitsu helps them stay calm in situations, de-escalate situations. It takes the ego out where you're not, you don't feel the need to go out and do something crazy. You can, like you say, get on top and relax. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience being in law enforcement, how jujitsu has helped you and how you think it can help translate into, you know, de-escalating situations in those kind of street situations with law enforcement. Yeah, those, Matt and everyone else, uh, hats off to them. They saw the gap and they filled the gap and they don't have to do that. Uh, they're not get, really getting anything for that. So bravo to everyone that's that's uh, contributing to that. I know there's a program called Adopt-A-Cop that's, uh, that's making the rounds where people will donate money and they'll go to tuition to you know further help guys to get to train, get them on the mats and pay their tuition. And um, so hats off number one to those citizens. And those are the true leaders of the community. And um, as far as my training, how it correlates, just last week, my girl and I, we did Gracie survival tactics, uh, level one it's called. So there's two levels, uh, level one's the basic one. And it's just for law enforcement. Uh, and it goes through all those topics that you touched upon, you know, de-escalation, you know, verbalization, um, you know, staying calm under pressure. So, but with with moves geared toward us and our actual physical gears, you know, you're not fighting people on the street in a slick, you know, slick, uh, you know, rash guard or um, you know, a weird robe. So, um, it's real world scenarios that they set up in our gear, and um, it trains guys how to um, how to fight better or how to protect better. I should say, like most of it's just holding. Um, there's a, a mantra that they, they put into us called the 100 second rule. So say you and I get into a fight, we're flailing, you know, punching, we're going crazy. And it's just, it's more out of fear. All the, the fights I had pre jujitsu, it was just, um, it was just a confrontation that I escalated because it was in fear of not being in, in control, but the more you train, the more you less, less have to fight. It's weird how that works out. And the less you want to fight because you know, the ramifications, you know, of what can happen to you. So in that 100 seconds, if I could find a way to hold you and while you're in fear, you're swinging, you're create, you're going wild. The energy's dipping down like a video game starts at hundred and then the clock starts ticking. And at the, at the end of the hundred seconds, more, you know, your average guy is going to be spent. So as I'm using pressure and control holds and what have you and staying in control of my mind, I'm verbal, verbalizing to the person I have, and I'm like, hey, it's okay. You're going to be all right. All right. Are you done fighting? Are you ready to be rolled over and cuffed? I'm like, and just continue, can you continue to talk in a calm, rational voice and let them suck out all their energy? And then when they're exhausted, boom, now we just roll them over nice and easy and I handcuff them. You know, pre jujitsu, yeah, I've just been, <laughs> you know, ground and pound. And I, my, my fist, you could break your hand, you could break the other person's head. Uh, just injuries galore and it's a mess and now you know enter social media and the phones it's a mess nationally or internationally now that what we saw after george floyd the ramifications of that so 
uh, jujitsu training for our profession, I mean, just it should be absolutely mandatory because, like I said, the more you learn how to fight, the less you'll have to fight and just have better tools of, you know, after, you know, um, a sparring session, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, I mean, your cardio is through the roof after that. And so when you're confronted with someone, it's like eating a sandwich. You do, you do it, you know, three or four times a week, whatever <laughs> your tr training tempo is like, oh, okay. You don't want to go with the program. I mean, so we have to roll around and no big thing. It's, you know, like, uh, you know, drinking, drinking from a, a bottle instead of I'm having a fight maybe, you know, once or twice a year and I'm in fear. I'm like, oh shit, am I going to lose the fight? Uh, am I going to be embarrassed or whatever thoughts that usually come into your mind when you're out in the public and dealing with them. And when you're doing jujitsu, those fears are gone and you just, just, just do what you have to do. It's just another day on the mats. And um, it protects yourself and the person that you're fighting. So it's a two-way street, and therefore it's a double win in my mind. And for the community, people seeing you, how you deal with someone in the street, everyone's watching. The street's always watching. And when I have those interactions with people that would have been, in the past would have been negative, everyone has to pone up. When um, people see us out in the street and we're interacting and someone's trying to engage in a verbal argument in a, a physical argument and you're not giving in because you don't you know, you put aside that ego and you're not afraid and so people have that phone up looking for that interaction and then after a minute they just walk away like oh it's just a boring interaction and i'm not getting a video it's going viral it's like perfect that's that's what i'm looking for and uh, that that's a win in my book when both of us can walk away and no one's bloody and you you get you get everyone walking away with, uh, oh, wow, um, these guys aren't assholes, not all of them. Uh, there's good guys out there. So that's that's what I'm out there to change your minds. And that's kind of why I try to do these podcasts, just get the word out there of, you know, can't paint everyone in that same brush. And the tide is turning through people like Matt and and Gracie's survival tactics and the wave is pushing to that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a generational thing. Like, the people that are in command now don't necessarily understand the value of that, but as they start moving on and the younger generation takes hold and they, they, they just live with this type of uh, activities, it's just going to be normal. It's like, oh yeah, we all do jujitsu. Uh, That's just the way it is. And oh yeah, you know, you want to fight? Oh, no big deal. Just roll <laughs> around, just hold you down in side control. You're done fighting. All right. We roll you over and cuff you, you know, mission accomplished. So. I think it's awesome, man. I love what Henry and Hero are doing over there, too. All the videos he does, even with him and his wife now, for, like, the female self-defense stuff, it's just awesome to see. And I love what you said. I've heard you talk about it a couple of times, how if you wind up in that situation on the street that, like, a guy's on top of you or you're on top of him, it's kind of like, hey, I did this this morning. Whereas if right. you think about, like, the average male, when the last time that they actually, like, wrestled around or had like a guy on top of them trying to, to hurt them or, or vice versa, that they're in some sort of scramble sober, mm. maybe never, you know what I mean? And it, it's, it's kind of crazy. And to that point for law enforcement, some of those guys, maybe when they were in the Academy, but then not for the last 10 years and they're not in the shape that they used to. So one of the things that I love about jujitsu is it, you know, at the time I was boxing and stuff and you can't get hit in the head like that every day, but jujitsu was one of the few things that, you could train at 100% speed every single day, multiple times a day. You tap, you start over. And when that transitioned into like a real life situation, I was like, wow, like not only is this slow motion like it was there, like I'm able to like nullify this. And it was, it, it was no different 
than mm -hmm. some white belt coming at me all crazy flailing around. And I thought that that was really great. Not only to, that you get to, to see that the muscle memory does work. If nobody's actually trained and then had a situation, thankfully you're not. But if you do, it's amazing how your body reacts to like take him down, hold his hand, sit like, and you're just like, I didn't even think about that. It just happened. But more importantly, I think when everybody loses their head, the biggest thing I've gotten from martial arts is when something happens that that fight or flight kicks in and everybody else is reacting, you're staying calm and being the voice of reason. I, I think you might've said it, the being the fire extinguisher, I think is like one of the, the, the best things I've heard for that. If, if there's so much to be said in life for being able to stay calm in a stressful situation. And if nothing else, that's why I always feel everybody should go to jujitsu and at least become like a blue belt just to learn how to handle confrontation and stress. Yeah, you're in the club watching, uh, you know, Billy Bio get down and someone, uh, you step on someone's shoe and they get all pissed and all aggro on you. Like, and you just, you know, you say, hey, brother, I'm sorry about that. Can I buy you a drink? You know, it's all good. Instead of, uh, wait, what's the big deal, man? You know, it's like when you're on the mats and you need somebody or, you know, you headbutt them by accident. You're like, oh, shit, my bad. I'm sorry. And then you just hug real quick, fist bump, like, it's all good. And then you just keep on continuing. So that just translates into the street where, if your old ladies has a problem or whatever, she gets, you know, she's getting on your back or your kids or someone at work, you're like, hey, sorry about that. You know, I didn't mean to do that. Boom, fist bump and we move on. We have a smile. So it's just layers upon layers of how it adds value and, and deconflicts in so many different ways. So yeah, it's everyone should, uh, should yeah, get to that blue belt level for sure. I love it, man. Hey, I know I'm taking up a little more. You got like another five minutes? Sure. Okay, cool. Awesome, man. I don't want to be respectful for your time. I obviously can't let you go without talking about the Cecil Hotel, the American Horror Story Hotel, for people who aren't familiar. There's a, a Netflix series, The Vanishing of the Cecil Hotel, where you are featured, which um, a, a prominent feature. So if people are like, where do I know him from? That's that's probably where, because it was uh, one of the most popular shows on Netflix for, for a while there. So how did that come about? And talk a little bit about that case. I recently watched it. That elevator video is really creepy, man. It is. It is. That's a, that's a movie unto itself. Yeah. It seems like, yeah, that was just, uh, I knew some people that do, uh, they, they were featured in it as well. It's a lady named Kim Cooper and she's a downtown uh, LA historian with her uh, husband and they have a tour group called Esoteric Tours. Fabulous tours. If you're into that, if you come down to LA, check them out. And they asked, uh, or the producers asked them once they got on board, Hey, do you know any policemen that worked in the area? And I worked Skid Row for you know, quite some time and still do. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, buddy Nako um, would be great on that. So they asked me and it, again to just saying yes. Like, hey, do you want to talk to some people doing a documentary? I mean, that was it. I had no details. I'm like, sure, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've got hit up in the past for like documentaries and you just don't know if it's, you know, the way these things get structured, it could never, you know, more likely it's not going to happen than it happens. So I figured, oh, you know, it's a cool little documentary, maybe, you know, a couple of thousand punters will see it one day down the road. And little did I know, a couple of months later, you know, got sold to Netflix. And then Ron Howard from Happy Days was attached. And Brian Gray's like all these tier one guys like, oh, my own. I was like, this is, uh, is going to be big. I mean, it's, a, it's kind of embarrassing. I, yeah, I don't know how this <laughs> is going to look. I don't know what I said. I can't remember what I said. But it ended up being a really good thing. Connected me to some interesting people I've uh, maintained friendships with, people at Netflix and, and what have you. and. Um, yeah, so it's, a, again, taking something tragic and turning it into a positive. And it, there's a lot of talk right now of, uh, like, the true crime genre. Are they being exploitive of victims and, 
and tragedies. But I think a good thing that came out of that, it addressed a lot of the mental, mental health aspects of it. And so what I see of that is when you mentioned that elevator video where someone that never had any real um, exposure to mental illness and what it looks like, they just think maybe, oh, this girl was just uh, zooted or whatever, you know? And they're like, oh no, maybe it changes their mindset a little bit. Maybe she's into uh, going to uh, mental uh, decompensation. Let me do something for her. Let me reach out. Let me try to help. So these documentaries should have a purpose. I think that was the purpose of that one for me anyway, is to expose people to what happened to Lisa Lamb uh, when she's went off her medication and she was in an um, unsafe environment and an unfamiliar environment and just started mentally eroding. And then it led to her, you know, accidentally dying by putting, you know, secreting herself into the water tower on top of the seesaw hotel. So, um, you know, if people can get something out of that, that again, that's mission accomplished for me, just trying to expose, um, expose how to help the underdog. And right now, the mental health thing is, I mean, there's a lot of underdogs out there. There's a lot of people addicted to drugs and just lost their way and um, depression, anxiety, especially you know, this uh, pandemic area, we haven't seen the worst of it. I think we're like maybe in the sixth inning if you could relate that to a ball game. Usually at the, the end of a big incident is when the blowback happens. So we're still, we're still in a mix of it, but when it finally does come to fruition, I mean, there's gonna be a, an even bigger explosion of all depression and mental illness after that, unfortunately, and drug addiction and suicide. So yeah, if you see someone acting out, like that in those fashion, try to try to help, try to recognize those signs and symptoms and be the better person instead of looking away again, making that human connection. Oh, it's someone else's problems. It's called, someone will call the police eventually, just look at them, try to engage and see them going down the wrong path, you know, try to try to help them. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real Mackenzie's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-632-0585 for your free online drum lesson. I think that's great advice, man. You know, and going back to a lot of the things we were saying, that was one of my biggest concerns with the pandemic was not just jujitsu, but knowing that I, you know, I've been running, I've been working out, I've been lifting weights, I've been doing like the freaking insanity and whatever. There's nothing that's giving me that release from like a stressful workday or whatever's going on with like life and people around me, like jujitsu. Like I haven't been able to get that. It's been very hard to deal with stress. And I'm somebody who usually deals with it pretty well. And I know that that outlet, whether it's CrossFit or it's, you know, whatever kind of thing they were going out there to have their sense of community with was taken away from a lot of people. And I think not having that for like, you know, 18, 19, 20 months and counting, yes, there's going to be some 
some dangers and some risks to doing things and going out, but to other ones, it's not even going to come close to the risk of them not having that, like you said, because I, I think not having an outlet for things like mental health in a stressful situation, I've, I've just seen it take people, you know, you see how they are before they come in and you see how they're changed by that. And then you're worried, like, are they going to revert back to that? And I'm, I'm blown away by how fast they do when that's taken off the table. It's just, it's, it's, it's terrifying. Yeah, man's a social being. He's not meant to be in a cage. I mean, you see it when you, with prisoners, what do they do when you screw up in prison? They put you in solitary confinement. And you'd think, oh, if I'm going to prison as murderers and rapists and all that, I want to be in a cell by myself. No, the man doesn't, can't survive by himself. He needs that tribe. So that's what they do to punish you. But you, you think it was the opposite. No, we need people. We need to be connected. We're not meant to be locked down. So yeah, that was horrible horrible decision making of uh, putting that out for people, you know, especially closing down beaches and gyms and what have you. I mean, everything's a risk out there. We could, we could end vehicle accidents and DUIs and, you know, and, and fatalities, injuries by not having anyone drive ever again. You know, <laughs> numbers go to zero, but hey, when you're on the road, that's the risk you take. So I think that was kind of the approach that they should have, we should have taken Hey, lockdown if you have to, if you want to, but Hey, these other things, these social aspects, we need that. We just have to be a little safer, but we we still need that. But but hey, what do, what do I know? I'm just a I'm just a dumb beat cop here. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking into positive things that help in a therapeutic way with stress, dogs and music are a big part of your life as well. I've seen some pictures of of your dogs, and obviously you're friends with the guys from Dropkick Murphys. My, my buddy, uh, Jeff, is actually the mandolin player for the Dropkick Murphys. So it was funny when I saw you oh, yeah. car over there. Yeah, I just actually saw them out here at Riot Fest when they were playing with my buddies in Taking Back Sunday. But I see you, uh, you know, taking pictures with him, you know, Billy and Jocko and all these different guys. Talk about, uh, you know, your, your dog and, and music just in general being a, a positive influence and impact on your life. Well, I'm, um, I'm, a, I'm just an animal guy. I have a cat. I, I wish I could have a cat and a dog. Oh, but, I thought uh, it was your dog. I've seen on your Instagram. No, no. And I just, you know, if there's uh, dogs in the neighborhood or whatever, I just you try to interact with like I do with, oh, with, that's cool. with with people in the street or whatever. You know, uh, usually the animals are way nicer than the people sometimes. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I just, um, it, it's, it's just, um, yeah, I think you could tell a lot from how people interact with, with uh, animals and how the animals interact with them, more importantly. Like, oh, yeah. You, always, you know, animals could suss out you know, who's the bad guy and, and who's not. So that's always been just a, a way of um, way of relieving stress. And uh, that was a cool thing to see in the pandemic of people taking on pet ownership and then how that changed once people started going back to work, which was a bummer where people giving up these uh, animals. But um, yeah, so that that's, that's definitely a stress reliever coming home to that animal that will never judge you and just leaps into your arms and it puts an instant smile to your face. So, um, beautiful thing. And then turning on music. So I've learned, um, music was always big in my house, uh, with my family and being a fan of music, you know, and being a reader delved into some of my favorite bands, uh, you know, Stone, Zeppelin, uh, Muddy Waters, Robert Johnson, all the early greats. And then learning about them and then wanting to emulate them. So picking up the guitar, picking up the bass, uh, getting a drum set recently, and then going to concerts, you know, once you become of age, and then just being lucky to interact with some of the guys. It's one of the cool things in the, um, the punk and metal hardcore scene is they're very accessible. 
they're not, you know, it's not going to be, uh, you know, Mick Jagger. You're never going to be able to interact with Mick Jagger, but the guys that drop kicks and, and uh, the other bands that we love, you know, Biohazard or what have you, they're just regular street kids like we are. And you just interact with people and have it like, again, um, be of service, um, trying to help people and having a positive mental attitude. And, you know, you just collect friends along the way and just those guys from Dropkicks are very uh, pro law enforcement and they're uh, real, I'm super good friends with the original lead singer, Mike McColgan, U.S. Army veteran, Boston fireman. So I got to know the guys through them and, and now Al, this lead singer, just amazing individual, just great guy. And um, it's, it's funny, we have all these connections with people and you just have to be open enough to like dust off and see the connections and then and just be willing to accept that so somehow we're all connected you just got to keep your eyes open and, and be curious and seek that out and so yeah i collected a great great wealth of friends from every spectrum and just super blessed in that regard that's again that's my true true treasure is linking people up and linking linking up with others and i mean man just to have conversations with those guys and uh, just it's just a beautiful thing that's awesome, man. And uh, I, I know you recently went to, I think you went to see them with Jocko, right? Recently? Yeah, yeah. We always, whenever they come down to San Diego, we always uh, link up with them. Jocko and Al, they go back to the hardcore days out of New England. So they were friends and had friends of friends and all different bands in the, the community back then. And just recently linked up when um, we went a couple of years ago and, and connect again, I, I connected those guys like, hey, you know, let's go see Dropkicks. And then with Al and uh, Jamie Jasta was there when they we all linked up and he's from Connecticut and Jocko's from Connecticut. So it was awesome just to sit back and just smile and watch <laughs> all these guys, you know, just uh, reminiscing about the old days. So, uh, what a great concert awesome. to come back to, though, man. There's such a great live show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And just the stories of hearing Jamie was telling us about uh, Royal Motorhead fans. So Jamie had some crazy stories with Lemmy and what have you. So that, that's the true things. The music, of course, is great, but it's the people you interact with. That's that's the real show for me. So just, again, like doing jujitsu, physical act is great, but the best part is just sitting back and just like, man, wow, what a great show. And talking about, oh, remember this? and Remember that? We did that? That's that's the gold right there, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah, you just nailed that. It's like, I, Al I quit that was just saying it, but it's like you, you train with the best part of training or even going out to watch my buddies fight is sitting there at breakfast, listening to Longo and Matt just fuck with each other. It's just like, it's like, oh, I could watch this all day long. This is better than training, you know, so. Yes, that was, a, that was a great episode, Al. Yeah, I love watching him fight and to hear him speak was even better. So yeah, in that garage with his buddies, I mean, that's that's everything. You know, the fight's cool, but that that train up session with, his, with the buddies and ripping each other apart and yeah. having fun, man, it doesn't get better than that. That's yeah. a good group, man. This has been great, man. I, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your stuff. I, I kept you along. I apologize for taking a more night. Thanks for being a good sport there, man. But uh, you're welcome back anytime, man. How can people find you? How can people connect with you? What's going on in your life? How can we help you? Uh, yeah, check out uh, the Armbar podcast. You, know, you can go to my Instagram handle and all the links are there. I had to get in touch with me on Twitter and Instagram and everything else if you have questions about whatever. Um, hit me up more than happy to answer whatever help you direct you in whatever way possible um, just uh, at Nako K-N-O-C-K-O and um, yeah Google it all the old fashioned way Bing it <laughs> ask Jeeves all that good stuff and <laughs> it's out there 
and uh, appreciate it again, give me this platform to, um, to talk and to meet you more importantly. So next time I'm out in Chicago, we'll, uh, we'll definitely try to hit a session and, and, uh, and connect again. Yeah. 100% or New York too. I know you said you're going to head out there in the near future. Let, let me know when, cause uh, I'll be out there for the holidays too, man. Bring it down to Thanksgiving rolling in. I, I'll be there for that, man. Let's link up. Perfect. Even better. Yeah. And then when you're out here, vice versa, come down to GU, get you on the podcast and, and, and do it live as uh, Bill O'Reilly says, fuck it. We're doing it live. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, I appreciate it, man. This has been awesome as always. Any final thoughts before I let you go? You know, no, just, uh, sum it up and just be a good human and smile, laugh, keep it playful and uh, look out for one another. Awesome words. Thank you. You definitely bring your A game. Cheers, brother. Thank you so much. <laughs>